Welcome back to Primetime Kansas City on today's episode. It's just going to be a solo show, just Jackson here for today's episode. I'm going to be breaking down the Royals. They start the season 3-9, and nine, and I have some clarity for them. I think people around you know, the fan base are a little confused about some things. I've got some things that I'm going to clear up about the organization to have some strong feelings about that. NBA playoffs are here. Playing games are just starting now. By the time this is out, probably all the playing games will have either been played or they will about to have been played. So, you know, we already got that. The Lakers have clinched the seven seed. The Hawks have clinched the seven seed in the East. So a lot of good stuff going on there. The NFL draft is coming up. I'll talk about a few trade scenarios that I'm thinking about, specifically with that number three overall pick, Arizona, looking to move out. Um, and a lot of teams looking for a quarterback looking to jump to number three and leapfrog the Colts to get that guy because a lot of people feel as if there's, you know, Young, Stroud, uh, then a bit of a dip, Richardson, and then a really, really big dip before we get to Levis. So a lot of people are desperate to get that third quarterback. Picks one and two aren't moving, so that's the way that's going to be. But we'll get into all of that throughout the show. Let's start it off today with the Kansas City Royals. This is a Kansas City-based podcast. Most of the people listening are from the area, so let me break something down for you guys. The Royals are 3-9, and nine, and I think a lot of people, when they made changes at general manager getting rid of Dayton Moore, and they made changes at manager and pitching coach bringing in Matt Quattrero, getting rid of Mike Matheny, uh, getting you know Brian Sweeney, getting rid of Cal Eldred, just expected things to be you know a lot better. They expected things to be you know improve. They expected this to look a lot different. And so far through 12 games, small sample size in the grand scheme of a baseball season, but so far through 12 games, it hasn't been. They're three and nine. They're offensively just dreadful. Um, you know, they've been better pitching, but it was like impossible to be worse than they were a year ago. And a lot of people are just like, wow, you know, I really was kind of hoping the Royals would be a little better this year. I was really hoping to see some strides out of the young guys. And I'd be lying to say that I wasn't too, but I think it has to be taken into perspective. And I think we have to talk about this first and foremost. This is not the same rebuild that started in 2018. And I think we have to address that. Okay, so when Hosmer, Kane, Moustakis, Escobar, Wade Davis, um, you know, all those guys. When you know, If you want to go back even a little uh, earlier, Cueto, Zobrist, um, you know, obviously the unfortunate passing of Ventura. All of those guys leaving. You know, everybody, you know, Alex Gordon even retiring. Whatever you want to do, all of that core leaving... That was the beginning of the rebuild. So you go, at the end of the 2017 season, the Royals finish 80 and 82. <clears throat> they lose all of these guys. Now, they do bring back Escobar and Moustakas on cheap deals, but they don't play much. doesn't really matter. But the point is, that's kind of when the rebuild began, right? It's like the first rebuild I'm going to talk about is 2018. And everybody knew in 2018 that the Royals are going to be a dreadful product. They knew that the Royals were going to be absolutely terrible. They knew that there was just not a lot of big league talent on that team and that the rebuild was beginning. I think that was clearly understood throughout everything, right? And they were. They were absolutely dreadful. They traded throughout that season. Mike Moustakis, they were able to deal him to the Brewers for prospects that, if you haven't, you know, been keeping up, aren't on the team anymore. Brett Phillips, an outfielder, never could get his batting average near uh, you know, a good enough everyday starter. And then Jorge Lopez, who's now an all-star closer for the Twins, who couldn't do anything in Kansas City. So they really didn't get anything there. 
they were terrible in 2018. Everybody knew that. And then you go to the 2018 draft. Okay, in the first round, Brady Singer falls to them at 18. They get very, very, very lucky in that situation. Brady Singer has been good. That was a good thing that they did. But then with the 33rd pick, they take Jackson Coar, who has been an absolute, utter disaster. One of the worst starting pitchers, one of the worst pitchers I've ever seen in Major League Baseball, ever. History of MLB. Never seen a guy that bad. Okay, then you go to Daniel Lynch, who's been a little below average. He's been hovering around that 4-5 to five ERA range. He hasn't been a disaster, but, you know, whatever. Then you go to Chris Bubich, who... To give him his credit, in 2022, has looked a lot better. I will give him that. It's early, but he's looked a lot better. But up until this point, has not yielded the results you were hoping for. Then you go throughout that draft. You know, those are the first four picks of the draft. Jonathan Bolin with their fifth overall selection in that draft in the second round. You know, another pitcher. He hasn't gotten up to the bigs yet. They still have some hope for him. Isbell at six. You know, that, that's not bad. Um, you, you just look around that draft. The rest of it, yeah, you know. Not a lot going on, but that wasn't a terrible start to the rebuild. Like, there wasn't an offensive start to the rebuild. It's definitely a good, I guess you could say good, I'd even say a good draft to start it. I think you got a lot there out of the 2018 class, even though Singer is really the only one that's been, you know, insanely productive. I believe you've got something out of that class. Then we go to 2019. First of all, one of the big, big, big issues in 2019 is trading Kelvin Herrera, who's one of the top relievers in baseball at the time, for a bunch of nobodies from the Nationals. That was a big problem because you're not getting anything in return for these guys that you had left from the World Series team. Then you go to the 2019 draft. Obviously, the second pick in that draft, Bobby Wood Jr., looks like he's going to have a fantastic career. He's been good. He was a can't-miss prospect. But the second-round pick in that draft, Brady McConnell, is basically... At this point, nobody has any hope for him. The third pick in that draft, Alec Marsh, who knows? The fourth pick in that draft, Grant Gambrill. I literally have not heard of that guy in the last two years. Don't even know if he's still on the team. Michael Massey, obviously at the fifth pick, not terrible. But then John Rave, Dan, you know Dante Bisai, Noah Murdoch. Like, what are these picks? To their credit. In the 11th round, they get Vinny Pasquantino. A broken clock is right twice a day. The bottom line is, this draft, they hit on Bobby with that top pick, but then their second, third, and fourth picks that they had in that draft completely whiffed on, to this point at least. To this point, they have completely whiffed on those prospects, and that just adds time to the rebuild when you're only hitting on two players in an entire class. That's going to add things, especially when your team... That doesn't sign free agents. You draft. So you've got to hit on draft picks. You can't miss. Then we go another year to 2020. And who do they take in the first round with the fourth pick? Asa Lacey, who at this point looks a little hopeless. He has no control. He had a double-digit ERA in AA last year. Just does not look even remotely close to being in the big leagues. I mean, you're sitting here in 2023 you would kind of hope that a guy that was taken with the fourth pick in 2020 would be nearing, you know, nearing that spot of making it to the majors. He has not yet. Um, and remember, this this was not a, the 2020, obviously, COVID. It was not a draft that, you know, had as many rounds. Second round, Nick Lofton. He actually looks like he has a shot. Third round, Ben Hernandez. Don't hear much about him. Uh, Tyler Gentry, Christian Chamberlain, and Will Klein. Right now, out of that class... You can say there's maybe one guy that's going to work out, Nick Lofton. 
Maybe. But you're looking at, unless things drastically change, a gigantic bust at the top in 2020 with the fourth overall pick in Asa Lacey. Just a gigantic mistake. So now you're looking at it. You have one certified great player from the 18 class. You have two from the 19. You have none from the 20. That's the, you know We're three years into the rebuild. You don't even have a handful of good picks at this point. You don't even have a handful of key contributors out of all of these picks. And of course, 2021 and 2022, those guys are a little too young to really critique yet. Um, it's kind of hard to know yet. Guys don't ever make it up that quickly unless they're like a Bobby Wood Jr. type prospect. But you look at that and you think, okay, between 18, 19, and 20, they literally don't even have, like they literally don't have more than a handful of key contributors from that class at this point at least. I'm counting Singer, Bobby, Vinny. Those are three solidified contributors. After that, it's like Lynch, Bubich, um, you know, Nick Lofton, we hope, is going to be good. We don't know for sure if he's going to be good. So it's just like, oh my gosh, but it goes back even further from that. Because why even be in a rebuild in the first place? You know, why even put yourself in that sort of a position um, to where you have to hit on those draft picks? You would hope, even though those guys were leaving, you would have the picks. And look, to their credit, in 2017, the Royals drafted decently well. Nick Prado was their first round pick. You know, hasn't done a ton yet. Looks promising. Their second round pick, MJ Melendez, looks promising. So it's not like they were totally inept in 2016, but the drafts that kill you are the drafts before that. And this is why I believe they are in two different rebuilds. I don't believe the one that we're in right now is the same one that's been going on this whole time. Their first three picks in 2016 are no longer with the team. Two of them never played on the roster, including the first pick they had, A.J. Puckett. The only guy from the 2016, the only guy from the 2016 class to have any sort of production is Nicky Lopez. You're talking about 39 draft picks. One, one of those 39 have contributed to the big league team. One! A singular one. It's terrible. You go back to 2015, the year the Royals won the World Series. Who was their first pick? Ash Russell. Never played for them. Who was their second pick? Nolan Watson. Never did anything. Third, Josh Stallmont. Had some glimpses. Didn't really do much. Then Anderson Miller. Garrett, I mean, a bunch of guys you aren't going to know. They fumbled this draft too, and this was just what happened. From 2011 to 2016, the Royals fumbled the draft so hard. Taking guys like Bubba Starling, Kyle Zimmer, Hunter Dozier, uh, the only damn good pick they had between that time period ended up being Brandon Finnegan because they flipped him for Cueto. But from 2011 to 2016, the Royals shot themselves in the foot. This window could have been longer than 2014, 2015, and then being somewhat competitive in 16, 17. This could have been longer if they would have hit on these picks. In fact, the, the state of the organization today would be great, I believe, if they would have hit on at least half of their picks between 2011 and to 2016, but they didn't. They didn't even hit on a singular one. They missed out on every single one, if you include Brandon Finnegan not being on the team anymore, obviously, because he gets traded for Cueto. Um, because 17, 18, and 19 
Well, they're not great drafts. At least they have some key contributors. If you could have hit on some kids from 2011 to 2016, it's a whole different story. So I think you have to look at it in that department. 2011 to 2016 set this entire just debacle up to where you really had to have unheard of success in the draft in 18 and 19 and 20 and 21. Like you're going to have to keep having unheard of success, which the Royals don't have the brains to do that. So that's why they're kind of in the situation they're in now. So you're looking at them and you're like, why are they still bad? Because we've been rebuilding for quite some time now. If you want to go back to 2018 and say, okay, that was the start of the rebuild. We're five years into this damn thing now. Why are we not making any progress? In fact, at times it feels like it's getting worse. Well, it's because they shot themselves in the foot for half a decade. And then in the other half decade, since this rebuild has begun, they simply haven't been good enough to make up for that. They haven't been good enough to make up for the half decade that Dayton Moore had of just missing on every single top pick. They haven't had anywhere near the drafts to make up for that. And of course, the Royals aren't going to spend in free agency. Now, there is a silver lining within all of this. One of those being Dayton Moore is no longer here. Another one being Mike Matheny is no longer here. And another one, the biggest one, being Cal Eldred isn't here. There are silver linings. When you look at the Royals right now, Bobby Wood Jr., Vinny Pasquantino, and MJ Melendez all have the talent to become superstars at this level. In fact, Brady Singer has that as well. Guys like Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich have the potential to be quality starters in this league with competent coaching, which I believe the Royals now have in Brian Sweeney as their pitching coach. And I believe throughout the organization, with an approach change, guys like Asa Lacey and Frank Mazzucato could see big improvements this year. But I want to make one thing very, very clear when I'm talking about this team. This is not the first go-around with Dayton, and this is why Dayton got fired, is because the first go-around with Dayton, he comes in, and he drafts, and he's hitting on these picks. I mean, he is hitting. He misses on Hochaver. That's fine. Hochaver was still a contributor to the World Series team, but he hits Hosmer, Moustakis. He trades for Kane. He trades for Escobar. He trades for Wade Davis. He trades for James Shields. He, you know, just gets these hidden gems. Gerard Dyson in one of the last rounds of the draft. He is hitting on these guys. Greg Holland, Kelvin Herrera. He's hitting on them. But from 2011 to 2016, that stopped. And that half decade honestly set them back a full decade. Because without having Yankee or Dodger money or just absurd drafting abilities, you were doomed. You were just doomed after that half decade. And now they're picking up the pieces So it's going to take a little bit. It's going to take a little bit. I think you're lying to yourself if you think the Royals are going to be a contending team really anytime soon. I think what really ends up happening is this year the Royals are terrible. In 2024, the Royals are probably terrible again. 2025, the Royals might start to sneak towards the wild card. And I think... The window is 26. You can call me a pessimist for this. You can look at me and say you're looking at it uh, glass half empty instead of glass half full. I get it. I understand it. But the Royals will not spend. That slows the process down considerably. When it's draft and develop, that slows the process down considerably. Look, I know this isn't what people want to hear. I know people... I know people around Kansas City who thought the Royals could make the playoffs this year. They're talking about, oh, the Vegas is 68 and a half. The the over is free money. No, it's not. It's not free money. Because this organization has not been built correctly. 
because incompetent people were leading it for too long. And I will say thank you to Dayton Moore for getting us a World Series. I still appreciate that. But he messed up. He made big, big draft mistakes. And his number one mistake, more than any draft pick he could have ever made, was hiring Mike Matheny and hiring Cal Eldred. They slowed this process down considerably, and it's going to take time to pick up the pieces. So if you ask me right now, if you make me bet on it, when, what year will the Royals make the playoffs next? I'm saying 2026. So that would be, for those counting at home, 11 years after they've won the World Series, it would take them 11 years to get back to the playoffs. And at this point, that doesn't feel absurd to say. Enough of my negativity on the Royals, because I could make an entire show out of that, and I probably will throughout the season. Um, that's why I love Chief season, you know? That's why I love getting on here during Chief season. Even when we bitch about things, we're winning, and we have a good team, and I know that Brett Veach uh, and the Hunt family and Andy Reid are going to make good decisions. They're going to be competent. They're not going to, you know, completely ruin things. The Royals, I don't have that. I don't have that sort of confidence. So that, you know, get get ready for a summer of just, you know, torture. Because if I have to go through it, I'm going to be honest. Look, I call a spade a spade on here. I'm not going to come on here and sugarcoat it. I'm not going to come on here and be Mr. Positive about it. I'm going to come on here and say exactly how I feel about it. So if you don't like that, get ready for the summer. You might just want to check back into September. Um, but on to the NBA playoffs because I have some opinions on this as well. Um, I mean, why would I be on here if I didn't? Um, the Lakers got in last night. They're going to be the seventh seed. They're going to be taking on the Grizzlies. That should be an entertaining series. And the Hawks upset my heat if you want to call it an upset they'll be the seven taking on the celtics so we still got a little bit to figure out who's going to be the eight seeds but the seven seeds are locked in um you know some other team the nine tens are playing right before i record this or maybe right as i'm recording this at this point um so we'll figure all of that out but i want to give you guys the teams that i think have the capability to win a championship this year and i do this in the nfl almost every season i believe i believe i've been doing this in the nfl every year i have a rule in the nfl that a quarterback in his first postseason won't win a Super Bowl. It hasn't happened since Tom Brady in 2001. It's just statistically, it's just, if you follow trends, it just very, very, very rarely has happened throughout history. And I'm kind of changing for the NBA. I kind of needed something like that, right? My thing in the NBA is if you don't have two guys you can trust with the ball down the stretch, you are not winning a championship. So I'll tell you who's going to win a championship. I can tell you it will be one of these teams. The first team is the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, you can trust Giannis Antetokounmpo, but you can trust more than him. Because on a given night, Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday can get you what you need to win. I don't feel like I need to explain myself on Milwaukee. They're my favorite to win the title. They have the best player on the planet right now in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Not going to explain it too much. Another team in the East I'm going to give a chance is... Um, <clears throat> the Celtics, the obviously Tatum and Brown. Look, I might be in the minority here. I think Jalen Brown is just as good as Jason Tatum. And as Celtics fans might get pissed off at me for saying that, I think that's a good thing if you're Boston. I don't think that's a negative thing. First of all, Jason Tatum shit all down his leg last fucking finals. I mean, oh my god did he hand Golden State that fucking series. He was so dreadful in that series. It was absurd. Jalen Brown is clearly the best player in that series. But regardless, when they both play at the levels that they're capable of playing, 
They're the best team in the East. The problem is it's hard to get them to play like that together consistently. And I think this is a huge postseason for Boston. I think if Boston doesn't reach the conference finals, that would be a disaster in itself, first of all. Because I don't think the rest of the Eastern Conference competes with the top two, Milwaukee and um, Boston. I don't think the Sixers, the Cavs, the Knicks, I don't think anybody else even touches that. Those two are in a league of their own in the East. So if they miss the Eastern Conference Finals, I mean, we are seriously considering some serious, like, serious changes in the offseason. Big trades. I mean, Jalen Brown could be on the table. Jason Tatum could be on the table uh, if that happens. But I don't think it'll happen. I think they'll make the Conference Finals, and I think they have an opportunity to win the East again. I think between Boston and Milwaukee, those are the only two teams in the East I think can win the East. They're the only two out of the East I think have a chance at a championship. I know I'm going to get Sixers fanboys in here saying, oh, but Joel Embiid and James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. John's not here to back me up on this, but Doc Rivers is not winning no damn NBA Finals. That guy backed his way into one. He'll never do it again. And James Harden, when has that guy ever showed up in a playoff series that actually mattered? I'm not talking a first-round series. Hell, I'm not even talking maybe a second-round series. I'm talking about... When you need that guy the most, when the hell does he show up? And he just doesn't throughout his track record. There's a reason he has not been back to the finals since he was a sixth man on the Thunder. So I like Bucks and Celtics in the East. Those are two teams in the East I could see making it. In the West, we have to start with the defending champ Warriors. What? They're a six seed. How could you start with them? Because they have the best roster in the West. That doesn't mean they're going to win the championship, but I can trust... Curry on one night. I can trust Jordan Poole on one night. I can trust Clay Thompson, Draymond. Um, you know, Wiggins is coming back. They they got back Gary Payton the second. He's one of their most key defenders on the team. I trust Kevon Looney is going to do enough in the paint to keep them afloat. He'll do enough on the boards. I mean, and if things get bad, you've got a guy like Jonathan Kuminga on the bench who can also give you good minutes. So I trust Golden State. They're going to be a tough out. Um, another team in the West that I honestly believe can win, and I've, I've got a lot of slack on this, is Denver. People don't believe in Denver, and I get it. They haven't made the finals yet with Jokic. But when I talk about two guys you can give the ball to, they have more than two. Because obviously you have Jokic, you have Jamal Murray, and then you got Michael Porter Jr., who just quietly had his best season as an NBA player, in my opinion. I mean, it's not like jump off the page, like that's a bona fide all-star numbers, but it's still like, damn, that guy is very, very good. He's key to what they're doing. So I think Denver has a chance, and I will get called absurd for that sort of stuff. I'll be told they're fraudulent. They're the number one seed in the Western Conference. I think they have an opportunity to make the finals. I think they have an opportunity to win the finals. Okay. Those are two teams in the West, but I'm going past that because I think Phoenix has an opportunity to win the finals. Um, maybe Golden State has the best roster, but it's very close between them and Phoenix. My one problem with Phoenix is how much can they make up for chemistry in such a short amount of time. Um, there is something to be said about Durant has not played a ton with that group. It ends up mattering in big spots when you have a team like Golden State who's been through it together. But you've got Durant, Booker, Paul, and Ayton. That's not to mention some of the pieces they have off the bench. They still have campaign. They still have some key contributors. The only key player they lost in the Durant trade uh, was Mikel Bridges, um, who was you know, arguably their best defender. But, I mean, you give him up for Kevin Durant 10 times out of 10. So I think Phoenix has an opportunity to do it. And those are my five. That's it. I've got Bucks, Celtics, 
Nuggets, Warriors, and Suns. And I promise you, I promise you right this second, it will be one of those five. But because I'm limiting it to five out of what will be 16 playoff teams, you're probably wondering why I don't think the other ones can win. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on them, but I'll just go through it. Sixers have already given you my answer. Cleveland, they're too Donovan Mitchell dependent. And that's not to disrespect what Evan Mobley and Darius Garland do. But they've never been in this moment, man. There's something to be said about being in the playoffs, going through this before. And let's just be honest, if they get in the series with Milwaukee, which if they want to make it through the East, they more than likely will have to, who do they have to stop Giannis? I don't see anybody on that team being able to contain Giannis. Even though Evan Mobley's a great defender, can he guard Giannis on the perimeter? I mean, we'll, we'll see. I doubt it. Um, the Knicks, let's get serious. The Knicks are... They're a fun regular season team, but they're, they're one of those regular season teams that they're so good in the regular season because they have to try their hardest just to be in the playoffs while some other teams are slacking. I don't buy them. I really don't. Um, you got the six seed Nets. Now, if this was the Nets of Kyrie and KD, I'd be like, hey, there's a shot. But no, they're done. They're going to get swept or gentlemen swept. You've got Atlanta. Please, they'd be lucky to pick up a game on Boston. And then you've got either Miami Toronto or Chicago, all of which will either get swept or gentlemen swept by the Bucks. You go to the West. Why am I not picking the Grizzlies, you might wonder. Um, well, there's a few reasons. One, they're all talk, no, they're all bark, no bite. They have not accomplished anything. They've not made the conference finals, yet they talk like they've won six championships in a row. Um, they don't have Steven Adams. That's a big deal. He is a anchor. He is a force for what they do, especially defensively. I do believe that's going to be something that comes back. And they're going to look at, um, especially in this first round series. And look, I'm not saying they can't win a series or two, but I don't believe they have the depth. I don't believe they have what it takes to beat one of these best teams in the West. And I especially don't believe they have what it takes to beat Milwaukee or Boston. Three seed Kings, fun story. They're a good team. You know they had statistically the best offense in NBA history. That's absurd. But nonetheless, they're too young. They're going up against the reigning champs. It's sad, but I don't see them doing it. Obviously, I've got Phoenix uh, as a team that can do it. Clippers, it's same old, same old for me with the Clippers, man. Especially Paul George's health. I just don't think the Clippers can get past the first round. If they do, we'll see. But I've seen this story too many times. I, I'm not going to get fooled again by Kawhi and the Clippers. I guess it's just not going to happen. I don't believe in that team. I don't think that they have what it takes to win the West. This one's going to be a lot of people are going to wonder. The Lakers. Why didn't I mention the Lakers? Especially because I said you need two guys you can give the ball to down the stretch you can trust. And while that's true with LeBron and Anthony Davis, outside of that, offense is a struggle for the Lakers. They have one of the worst offenses in the playoffs. Now, why are they here? Because they play suffocating defense. Since the trade deadline, they have been so, so good on that side of the ball. Um, but... I don't see them making it through the West. Could they beat Memphis in the first round? You're damn right they could. Okay, but do LeBron and Anthony Davis have the bodies to go through an entire postseason? To go through an entire run? To play from the middle of April? And let's be completely honest here. They've been playing playoff basketball since February. Like, the Lakers have had to have a playoff mindset and mentality since February. Because if not, they weren't even going to get a chance to make the playoffs. So the Lakers have had to be playing in a playoff mindset since, like, Valentine's Day almost. And they're going to have to do that to win a championship all the way to the end of June. Or the, you know, late middle June. 
I don't think they have what it takes there. Uh, Minnesota, let's get serious. They're a train wreck. Um, Pelicans, Thunder, no. I, I wish the Pelicans would have Zion, but it's not going to happen. So there you go. I just got to crush a lot of your favorite team's dreams. But if you're a fan of the Bucks or the Celtics in the East, you're feeling good. If you're a Suns fan, a Nuggets fan, or a Warriors fan, you ought to feel good too. The champion's coming out of one of those five. I rest my case there. Okay, so for today's final topic, I'm going to be talking about the NFL Draft, and this will get a lot, lot, lot deeper next week, next two weeks, really, um, as we go into mock drafts, we get really close to the actual thing. I think we all can agree one and two are going to be quarterbacks. Carolina and Houston will take a variance of uh, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. If they go one or two, you can you can argue that, but I can tell you that that's what is going to probably happen. I think a lot of people would agree. And then the real question becomes at number three, what do the Cardinals do? Well, it would be dumb for them to take a quarterback with the con- the contract they're in with Kyler Murray, so they probably don't do that. Who's the best player available at number three? If those two quarterbacks go off the board first, you would probably side with either Will Anderson out of Alabama or Jalen Carter out of Georgia. Uh, Jalen Carter's got a little bit of a character issue. Is he worthy of number three overall pick? It's debatable. Will Anderson, I think, would be fine at that number three pick. But there's good edge rushers in this class. It's not like Will Anderson is the Chase Young of this class. There's good edge rushers in this class. You're talking about guys like Tyree Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa. Um, You just have multiple guys uh, obviously, and I'll never be able to pronounce his name for the hell of, to save my life. But the kid out of K State, um, Uzama, I can't say the full name, so don't kill me. But there's good edge rushers in this class, is my point. So Arizona could be looking at this, and they could be saying, "Okay, we'll trade down. We will trade down and take another one. We might not get Will Anderson, but we're going to get a quality football player. And really, if we can get assets, future assets, and a quality football player." That might be getting, you know, a little bit better of a player than you're going to take. So, I'm thinking about it. And who would trade up to number three? Well, let's start with the obvious. The Indianapolis Colts, who are at number four, would have the easiest path to trade up to number three. All they would have to do is give up the fourth. They'd swap picks. They'd give up number four for number three. And they probably wouldn't have to give up as much value as any other team because they're only swapping with one pick. And why would the Colts do that? Why not stay pat at three? Well, they don't, or at four. Well, they don't want someone coming up and passing them, especially a team we're about to talk about. So, you know, if they really like Anthony Richardson, maybe they even really like Will Levis, whoever it may be. Maybe it's even Hendon Hooker. In that case, just fold the franchise. But it, whatever it is, I could see him trading up a single pick. At number five, Seattle, who has two first round picks, I could see a 5 3 swap. I could see Seattle going up to the number three pick and taking Anthony Richardson. And it makes so much sense because the Seattle Seahawks have Geno Smith. They could develop Anthony Richardson behind him. They're not in a panic. And also, Seattle has another first-round pick. This is Denver's first-round pick. They still have their own first-round pick. They could take to address a team issue now, and they could also have a guy in the wings. I think it makes sense for them. At number six, Detroit. I mean, we've got four, five, and six, all with reasons to trade up to number three. Um, Detroit... They could. I mean, golf serviceable. Maybe they want to take a big swing. I think they're one of the less likely teams to do it, but they could. And of course, number seven. You can't ignore number seven either. The Raiders, they did sign Garoppolo. They have Brian Hoyer as his backup, so people think maybe not. But there is also a, there's always a chance that they would trade up to number three and go and get it. 
Um, obviously, they'd have to give up a little more value than the teams right in front of them, so it could become tough. But then there's one team that just I can't stop looking at. I can't stop looking at them and thinking, these son-of-a-guns are going to go trade up and get that number three pick, aren't they? And it's the Tennessee Titans who are currently picking 12. Um, let's assess their situation, first of all, before we understand why they would trade up. They have Ryan Tannehill, who is serviceable, gets hurt, but is serviceable. They have Malik Willis, who they took in the third round last year, who had a pretty bad rookie season. I mean, when he got thrusted into action, looked very, very overwhelmed. And they've got, they don't even have Josh Dobbs anymore, so I guess those are the only two guys they have on the roster. So clearly Tennessee doesn't have a guy right now on their roster that they're thinking like, okay, next five, ten years, we're set with this guy. They don't have that right now. So there's clearly a need. Now let's look at the division. Jacksonville has the future in that division at Trevor Lawrence. They do. Houston is picking number two. They're going to take either Stroud or Young, or maybe they get crazy and take Richardson. But regardless, they're going to have a young quarterback on their roster to move forward with. Um, and then Indianapolis at number four. Let's say you don't trade up to number three. They're going to get a young quarterback more than likely to step in and play and be, you know, the future of that division. So you look at that, and let's say you're Tennessee, you're the only one without a future plan in that division. All of a sudden, you're going to look around, and you're going to have like a 23, 24-year-old Trevor Lawrence, like probably like a 22-year-old Bryce Young, and then maybe like a 22-year-old Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis. That's the risk you're running if you're Tennessee. And the motive is if you're Tennessee is... If you trade up to three, it's a big fuck you to Indianapolis at number four because then you get the young quarterback and all of a sudden Indianapolis now takes over your position of, well, shit, we're the one team in the division without a young quarterback unless you want to count Sam Ellinger, which let's not be blasphemous here. That guy is going to be flipping burgers or doing taxes in a few years. He has no future in the NFL, um, so let's not even try and entertain that discussion. Obviously, Matt Ryan is not going to be there, so the Colts definitely need a quarterback. Um, so I think there's a lot of interest around that number three pick, and I think Tennessee is the right team to do it. If I'm the Titans, I'm looking at that, and I'm doing it in a heartbeat. I'm not even thinking twice about it. I'm giving up the assets I have to. We've already heard that they've considered getting rid of Derrick Henry. This is the time to sell on Derrick Henry. If you could sell Derrick Henry to Arizona, which I'm not even sure Arizona has a need for him right now, but let's say they do. You, you do some picks, you make it work, you get up there and you get your quarterback of the future, and the guy gets to sit behind Ryan Tannehill for the first year if you need him to. That's that's one of the other good things. When you look at a team like Houston or Carolina or even Indianapolis, the guy that gets drafted there is immediately the guy. Like, they have nobody, they don't have bridge quarterbacks. The Titans have a bridge quarterback. They can make it work. And then one dark horse team that I could see trading up for this pick who would have to give up a shit ton of assets to do it because of where they pick. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers all the way down at pick 19. Boy, they probably wish they just missed the playoffs entirely last year. It would have made this a lot easier for them, um, but I could see them doing it as well. And look, I, I don't think the Cardinals really give a shit who takes the pick, but they're going to use the leverage and say, Indianapolis, if you want to make sure Tennessee doesn't leapfrog you, we're going to need a little more, and vice versa. They can say, Tennessee... We can just let Indianapolis get this pick, and then you're screwed. You're gridlocked out of the top three because no way in hell the Texans or the Colts are trading you that pick. 
it'll be interesting. If, it, if I had to guess right now, I think Tennessee strikes a deal on either draft week or draft night to get up to three. I don't know what they give up, but I think it goes Panthers take Stroud, Texans take Young, and then at number three, the Titans get Anthony Richardson. At four, the Colts then have a decision to make. Do they take Will Levis? What do they do? And I think the Colts... It's tough. I could see them taking Will Levis, but if they don't, I could also see them taking best just best player available. They might go Will Anderson at that point. They might not have a choice. They might not have a high enough grade to want to take Will Levis at that fourth pick. Uh, we'll just have to see. But I think Arizona's trading out at number three, and I think Tennessee's the right team to go up there and do it. But they don't don't be don't be um, don't be surprised when the price tag to do it is very high because the Cardinals hold a lot of leverage. And let me tell you, if nobody wants to give them a serious offer, I bet you they could sit there at number three and take Will Anderson and not miss a minute of sleep that night. So they have all the leverage in the world when it comes to that number three pick. And they know, I've heard at least, I've seen this reported, at least six different teams have interest in moving into that spot. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm very interested to see what happens in that situation. But before we go, we have one more topic to discuss in the NFL and the NFL draft. And it's, of course, the Aaron Rodgers situation, which still has not been resolved. He clearly wants to be a Jet. The Packers want him to be a Jet. The Jets want him to be a Jet. But we can't get a deal done. Gutekunst and Joe Douglas are just not able to strike anything. There's been very limited communication, apparently. And there's like, will this even get done by draft night? My guess is yes. My guess is this gets done draft night. Or, like I said with you know the number three trade, this gets done draft week. You know, pressure, d- deadlines create things. Deadlines force moves, right? You've got to you got to play your hand. You got to show your hand eventually. You can't just you know it's all fun and games right now when there's nothing at stake. Whenever that draft's coming, that's when things are going to start getting serious. And I've seen a lot of talk about like who should budge, who should go in, who shouldn't. Let me tell you this. And if I was Brian Gutekinds, the GM of the Packers, it would be so simple for me. I would literally just get up there and tell Joe Douglas this. You have no alternative plan. Don't hit me with that Lamar bullshit because whatever you offer him, the Ravens will fucking match. I promise you that. Don't even don't even try and entertain that, okay? So so let's just throw that fairy tale out of the way. Now who do you go get? Brady's not coming out of retirement to play for the Jets. I'm sorry to break. I'm sorry to hurt you guys' feelings. It's not happening, okay? Teddy Bridgewater, Chase Daniel, like you are down to like nothing in free agency at this point. And good luck drafting a kid at 13. All four of the top guys will probably be gone by that point. So now, if you're the Jets, what do you do? Do you seriously go to your fan base after Joe Douglas publicly said? that they are going to have Aaron Rodgers in New York and say, we couldn't negotiate a deal. We're starting Zach Wilson this year. Let me tell you how that ends if you're the New York Jets. You start Zach Wilson. He's terrible, as he has been. You win seven, eight games just by the talent of your roster. You miss the playoffs again. Guess what's happening? Joe Douglas, out. Robert Sala, out. Everybody's out. You know, owner Woody Johnson is not going to put up with that shit. He's not going to put up with, well, we just couldn't get Green Bay to give us anything. No, they're not going to put up with that shit. So the pressure lies a lot on Joe Douglas and Robert Sala. This deal needs to get done for the Jets. 
Because if not, <laughs> if they trot Zach Wilson or Joe Flacco or whatever they want to do, because they don't even have Mike White anymore, if they or they did sign Tim Boyle, uh, Rogers' old backup, but that dude is trash. Um, if they put out Zach Wilson week one, jobs will be lost. Jobs will 100% be lost. Now when you look at the flip side of it, let's say this deal can't get done from Green Bay's perspective. There are two options, and neither of them are necessarily tragic. Either Rodgers plays, which seems very, very unlikely, but he comes back and plays for the Packers this year, which wouldn't be the end of the world for Green Bay, but it's probably not going to happen, and I think everybody would acknowledge that. Or Rodgers just sits out, or he just says, fuck it, and retires, and Jordan Love takes over. And yes, I know some Green Bay fans, I know some people say, well then, you're getting nothing for Rodgers. If the Jets aren't going to make you a serious offer, you already feel like you're not getting nothing for Rodgers. So if you're the Packers, who cares? You'll do it. I guarantee you this, Brian Gutekunst, the GM of the Packers, will not get fired if Aaron Rodgers sits out this year, or if Aaron Rodgers is the starting quarterback week one there. Will not get fired for that. Joe Douglas will get fired if Zach Wilson is the quarterback week one for the Jets. So when you want to talk about leverage, and you want to talk about Will, Rodgers wants to be a Jet, he said it, the leverage is for the Jets, they have Lazard, they have all the, you know, that's cute and all, I look at jobs on the line, and I'm looking at jobs on the line, and I'm saying, is Brian Gutekind's job on the line? Not as much as Joe Douglas's, if this deal doesn't get done. The only thing that Brian Gutekind can really lose his job over is making this trade and getting fleeced. Then... It kind of looks like, oh boy, okay, well, the Jets are geniuses and you're an idiot. Which is why Green Bay isn't willing to take a shitty offer from the Jets because Gutekunst knows the only way he loses in this situation is if they trade Rodgers for crumbs. He knows if this deal falls through, it looks much worse on the Jets than it does on the Packers. And if you think that Gutekunst gives a single flying fuck about how Aaron Rodgers feels about it, you haven't been paying attention to what he's been doing the last few years. Gutekunst took a quarterback in the first round and didn't even let Rodgers know. Didn't even tell Rodgers he was going to do it. He just did it. So everybody out there says, oh, the Jets have the leverage in this situation. Really? Really? Because I look at it and I say this. If Zach Wilson goes out there and he's the starting quarterback for the Jets next year and it's not Aaron Rodgers, I want you to give me... From 1 to 10, 10 being most confident, 1 being like, there's yeah, he's they're gone. What are the odds Jets GM Joe Douglas and Jets head coach Robert Sala have a job at the end of next year? I'd put it at about a 2 or 3. Now, if this trade falls through and Jordan Love starts for the Packers next year and Rodgers just sits out, from 1 to 10, same situation, Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur. I'd say it's closer to a 5, 6, or 7 than a 2. Especially... Especially because Green Bay has been a winning organization recently. The Jets have the longest playoff drought in American professional American sports right now. At least out of the Big Four. You know, out of the recognized in the Big Four. Green Bay has had three straight 13-win seasons with this GM and this head coach. They're fine. They're, they're chilling. They're not on the hot seat necessarily. Sure, they went 8-9 and nine last year, but that, they're still not that bad on the hot seat. But Joe Douglas and Robert Sala? Oh, boy. Trust me, trust me, trust me. You do not want to trot Zach Wilson out there in week one. The last three years, you've gone 2-14, 4-13, and 7-10. And and 
Go ahead and do it if you want. Go ahead and lowball the Packers. But if not giving up an extra second-round pick or not giving up a conditional first-round pick is worth you missing the playoffs again and losing your job, then be a cheap ass and go that direction. But if I were the Jets right now, I would be more than willing to pay the price Green Bay is asking. I don't think Green Bay is asking anything over the top. I think they're asking for just something out of a Hall of Fame freaking quarterback who two out of the last three years has won MVP. Um, and if the Jets want to be cheap asses about it, if they want to play hardball, if they want to think they're so smart and that they can't lose and that they have all of this figured out, let them. But do we really think an organization that hasn't made the playoffs since 2010, that hasn't had a winning record in the last five seasons, is really the one we're going to trust to make the right decision here? If you're the Jets, do whatever the fuck it takes to get Aaron Rodgers. That's all I have time for today on Primetime Kansas City. Appreciate you listening. We've had some really, really, really good numbers the last few months, which is very surprising. After football season, we normally don't have the listeners, the viewership, the, the listeners that we do throughout the season, but we have been crushing it. You guys have been crushing it lately. Appreciate all the love. And next week, we should have the full crew back, and it will be officially draft season. Until then, it's been Jackson Ogden signing out.